0: Good morning, everyone. I uh, had a troubling question. I asked the first service to help me with. They were absolutely no help at all, so maybe you can do better. But my question is this is it bad to be a pessimist? Maybe, maybe not. I don't, see, I hope not because I think I am one. I prefer to uh, refer to myself as a realist, not a pessimist. But nonetheless, I will be the first to admit I can take kind of a skeptic's view. Of life. If something looks too good to be true, then in my opinion, it's probably not true. Um, I'm a little more cautious before I'm fully committed. I kind of like to dip my toe in the water before I just decide to dive right in. Now, optimistic people, as you well know, are just the opposite, right? And, and in fact, if I were to be honest, they kind of stress me out a little bit, right? They're quick to jump in before they consider the consequences, and sometimes I feel like this let's do it attitude is just a little bit too dangerous. Now, I'll admit, sometimes I can't do it because I'm too busy overanalyzing the situation, and very often I'm considering all the possible worst-case scenarios. But I just want to make an informed decision. The overcompetent... overconfident optimist just kind of wants just to dive right in and worry about the questions later. So my question is, which one's right? Is, yeah, see, it would be the optimist who would say that, the overzealous optimist. But there's the question, should I be more optimistic or should the optimist be just a little more cautious? Well, I don't think it's a matter of right and wrong, to be honest with you. I think we need both in the world. Sometimes I need an optimistic person to come alongside me and help me be a little more carefree and fun. I need them to just kind of push me into the adventure, into the unknown. Even though that makes me nervous, I need to go there from time to time. And sometimes the optimist needs me because if they keep repeating the same bad decision and getting the same negative result, they probably need to stop and think about their decision before they jump right in the next time, right? I think we need all kinds of people in the world, and I think that's true of the disciples as well. As I mentioned last week, I think Thomas gets a bad rap, but I think the disciples needed Thomas. They needed his perspective, and yes, he was a little doubtful and cautious at times, but trust me, he was fully committed. In fact, I'm personally convinced that his devotion to Christ far outweighed any of his doubts. Thomas was fully committed. He was completely devoted, and he was unwilling to compromise. What you see with Thomas is what you get. And I believe what you get in the long run is one of the most profound testimonies of Christ in all of Scripture. I think the disciples needed to hear that testimony, and I think we do too. I think Thomas has something for us this morning. So before we open up the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for Thomas. Thank you for giving us an example of someone who didn't have all the answers, who maybe even struggled in his faith at times, but he never stopped pursuing you. And you were always near him. So, Father, I pray that even wherever we might be this morning, I think there's probably Thomas's in this room. People who maybe have questions or fears or uncertainties, maybe doubts. And so I pray that what we see in the life of Thomas would be something that you would speak into their hearts this morning as well. So that as you did with Thomas, you would call them to a a deeper and more abiding faith and trust in you. You are near. You understand. You're not afraid of our questions. You're not concerned about our doubts. You just want us to draw near. I pray that we can do that this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. So if you will turn to John chapter 11, this will look familiar, we looked at this last week, but I want to revisit a few verses. So John chapter 11, beginning in verse 7, if you want to follow along with me there. Then after this, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, to kill you, <laughs> and you're going there again? Now go down to verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I said last week we spoke to this passage last week, but I want to briefly speak to some of those details again. First of all, I want you to notice that all of the disciples were concerned about returning to Jerusalem, not just Thomas, okay? This was a shared concern for all the disciples because Jerusalem was the scene of two recent, very recent attempts to kill Jesus by stoning him. And so to return to Jerusalem would have put everyone's life at risk. But despite the impending danger, Thomas was willing to die. Now, granted, he was considering the worst-case scenario, right? Death. It doesn't get any worse than that. That's all he could think about. But isn't it more true that it's harder to be faithful within the worst-case scenario than maybe it's not going to be that bad? Because the optimist would have said, oh, Thomas, don't worry. It's not going to be that bad. You can, we can do this. But doesn't it take more faith to consider the worst case scenario and yet still decide to go? He says, let us also go that we may die with him. Last week I said, and I'll tell you again, I believe this is an example of a courageous commitment from Thomas. Because Thomas, listen to this, Thomas would rather die and be with Christ than live and be without him. He surveyed all the potential awesomes, all all the worst-case scenarios. And still, he was willing to lose his life rather than forsake Jesus. There is no doubt in that decision. And trust me, that is true devotion. Now, after Lazarus, events continued to escalate. Of course, the disciples didn't know it at the time, but they were spending some of their final moments with Jesus. They would celebrate that Passover meal where Jesus would turn and, and wash the disciples' feet. And he would explain to them how this was an example for them, a, a pattern for which they wanted them, he wanted them to follow. And they would need to follow his example because, as we will see in our passage, they could not follow him. So if you would turn over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And let's pick up in this story where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, beginning in verse 33. He says to them, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment and said, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So as we see here, Jesus announces his departure and tells his disciples that they cannot go where he is going. And the disciples, at this point, have no understanding. They, they don't understand exactly what he means. And so Jesus explains to them that they're going to know you're my disciples not any longer because of my presence. now think about it. Up to this point, they knew that was Jesus' disciples because his disciples were with Jesus, right? That's how they knew, because of his presence. And now Jesus tells them, instead, you will be identified as my disciple because of your love. Love one another just as I have loved you. That's how they will know that you are my disciples. Not because of my presence, because where I'm going, you cannot go, but because of my love. The how continues in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Not surprisingly, over-optimistic Peter demands to go with Jesus. And much like we see with Thomas, he even is, says he's, he's willing to lay down his life for Jesus. But Jesus uh, tells him, informs him that he's being overzealous. Because in fact, he will end up denying him instead of going to die for him. In fact, he will deny him in order to avoid death. Look at I continues in verse 4. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus goes on and speaks and says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, and and that where I am you may also be. And you know the way where I am going having thought through what Jesus just told his disciples, now Thomas speaks up because he has something to say. And I think what he says is what every one of the disciples are feeling, because Jesus has now described where he's going. He says, I'm going to my father's house. And he explains to each of the disciples that I'm going to that place in order to prepare a specific place for you. In other words, there will be a room with your name on it, a place reserved specifically for you. The very same thing is true for us. There is a place, a place in heaven prepared for you with your name on it. Joe, Linda, Randa, Chris, Zach, there is a place, there's a room with your name on it, reserved in heaven, prepared by Christ. So Jesus goes on to say, You know the way where I am going. And that's where Thomas steps in and says, no, Jesus, to be real honest, we really don't know the way. We're not sure what you mean by this. Either tell us where you're going and we will find a way or tell us the way and we'll get to where you're going. But the bottom line for Thomas is this, Jesus, we want to be wherever you are. Remember, he just said earlier, look, if you're going to die, then we're going to die with you. But if you're going to be alive and you're going to go somewhere, we want to go where you're at. We just want to be with you. Either way, Thomas does not want to be separated from Jesus Christ. Neither death nor distance will stand in the way of his devotion. So Jesus responds to Thomas. Look at verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, do you do know him and have, in fact, seen him. I want you to stop and think about this. This is one of the most profound truths in all of Scripture, right? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I want you to notice from our passage, he is speaking these words specifically to Thomas. Look again at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can you know the way? We know the way. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, He wants him to know that the way to heaven is not a path. It is a person. A relationship with Christ is what leads to eternal life. And the reason Jesus said that we could not follow him, that his disciples could not follow him, at least not in that moment, is because they could not get there without the cross. No matter how much devotion you might have. It's just not possible. After all, we saw Peter saying that he was willing to lay down his life for Jesus. But Jesus saying, none of that matters unless I lay down my life for you. We cannot get to heaven on our own. We can only go where Jesus has already gone. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one comes to that place prepared until we put our trust in Him. That's why Peter claims in, in, in Acts. He says, no one enters into salvation. There, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we can be saved. Now, if you would turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to fast forward to the time after Christ had been crucified, and listen to this scene beginning in verse 19 of chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. Again, he says it twice. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So the crucifixion has taken place by this time. Jesus has died on the cross. His dead body had been taken from the cross and then placed into a tomb. And as you can see from this scene from which we just read, the disciples are afraid and confused, locked inside of a room. You see, if the Jews were willing to kill an innocent man, then clearly that means no one is safe. So here they are, locked in a room, wondering what in the world they're going to do next. But let me remind you, if you look at the the testimony of Scripture, the risen Christ has already made himself known by this point. Okay. If you don't believe me, go to Mark chapter 16. Whether you believe me or not, go there anyway. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Listen to what happened here beginning in verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, speaking of Jesus, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Look at what she does. She went and told those who had been with him. Who are, that? Who are they? Well, that's his disciples. It says as they mourned and wept, the loss of Jesus, of course. But when they heard that he was alive, and had been seen by her, look what happens. They would not believe it. Mary has seen the risen Christ. She goes back to the disciples. She explains to them what she has seen, and their reaction is, we don't believe it. Mary told the disciples, and they did not believe it. See, Thomas is the one who gets all the blame. But look at this passage and see that he's not the only one who didn't believe. Mary told all the disciples, and they wouldn't believe it. Not only did they doubt, they were overwhelmed by fear, locked inside of a room, wondering what to do next. And then Jesus miraculously steps into their uncertainty, and he says, peace be with you. And then notice what he does next. It says that Jesus showed them his hands and his feet. If you can just imagine that scene, they're already scared. They're already worried. And then all of a sudden, Jesus miraculously appears in their presence. And I bet everybody went to the corner that they could find wondering, oh, my goodness, what are we? Is this a ghost? Is this just a are are we losing our minds? Is this a figment of our imagination? How in the world is this possible? So Jesus shows them what they last saw. His nail-pierced hands and his nail-pierced feet. And in that moment, it says that their fear turned into joy. It says that they were filled with gladness in the presence of the risen Christ. But I want you to notice something. Someone is missing in this scene. Go down to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Think Mary here. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I won't believe. I think an important question to stop and ask ourselves at this point in time is why wasn't Thomas with the other 10 disciples? Why wasn't he there? And I think based on what we've learned thus far about Thomas, there's a very probable answer. I don't believe Thomas was with the other ten disciples because Thomas was alone in despair. His whole world centered around Jesus. His devotion was undeniable. But that world came crashing down the day that Jesus died. The other disciples were meeting together to decide, where do we go from here? But Thomas could not figure out how to live life when Jesus is gone. Thomas couldn't move on at all. And I believe his overwhelming grief was evidence of his profound love. Life had no meaning apart from Jesus Christ. And here's where I think Thomas might have gotten lost in his perspective. He became so overwhelmed by his circumstances that he forgot about God's promises. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a place like that? Listen, I have. (laughs) Many times and probably will more times yet in the future where I've become so overwhelmed by the grief of my circumstances that I lose sight of God's promises. And that's where Thomas finds himself. Remember, Jesus told his disciples what was to come. He had just told them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But Thomas couldn't see past what had just happened. Even when the disciples came and told them what he saw, he still couldn't believe. He had to see it for himself. And don't be too critical of Thomas in this incident because the very same thing happened to the disciples. Mary came and told them what she saw, and they didn't believe her either. They too had to see it with their own eyes, so he's no different than them. Thomas refused to live through the experience of someone else. He had to see it with his own eyes. So look at what happens in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. All the doors were locked, just as they were before, and Jesus came and stood among them, just as he did before, and he said, just as he did before, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. First, I think we need to give some, some credit to Thomas here because eight days later, he showed up. He could have stayed isolated and alone in his grief, but he knew And we need to be reminded that true healing must take place in loving community. Jesus told his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. And Thomas couldn't do that if he stayed hiding in his room. So in that room, with the doors locked once again, Jesus appears before his disciples. But I believe perhaps... At least in my mind's eye, when Jesus appears this second time and he says those very familiar words, peace be with you, I believe he looked directly into the eyes of Thomas and said, peace be with you. And then Jesus calls him forward and invites him to fulfill his request. Here, take your finger and place it into the holes of my hand and put your hand next to my side. And I want you to understand that when Jesus did this, he was not belittling Thomas. He was comforting him. Remember, his deep grief was evidence of his profound love for Jesus. Thomas was much more devoted than he was doubtful. Jesus was calling him in that moment to an even deeper and more abiding faith. Literally, what Jesus says in that passage is, do not have less faith, but believe more. See beyond your circumstances and believe in the promises of God. And in response, Thomas declares what I believe to be one of the most profound testimonies in all of Scripture. He looks into the eyes of Jesus and he says, My Lord and my God. Thomas is proclaiming that Jesus is not just the Messiah. He's not just the Savior of the world, as if that's not incredible enough. Instead, he proclaims in the presence of the other disciples, this is God incarnate. He is saying and believing that Jesus and God are one, just as Jesus had proclaimed before them when he said, I and the Father are one, and Thomas is saying, I believe that's true. When you see Jesus, you see God. His devotion takes on a whole new level at this point as he affirms the divinity of Jesus Christ. His devotion far exceeds his doubt. So you tell me, how would you describe someone who was willing to die for Jesus, who refused to be separated from Jesus, and whose world revolved around Jesus? Would you describe that man or woman as a person of faith or just someone who has an issue with doubt. I personally hope that you never see Thomas the same again. (laughs) And the next time you hear someone say something about doubting Thomas, you might look at them and say, you know, that's not entirely true. There's actually more to that story. But I also want you to consider how we might follow his example of faith. There's an early church father by the name of Anselm, and he said something that was really profound and incredibly important as it relates to the example of Thomas. And what he says is this. He says, For I do not seek to understand that I may believe, but I believe in order that I might understand. He called it faith-seeking understanding, and I believe that's what we see with Thomas. Thomas believed even in the midst of his doubts. But he was unwilling to hide behind them. And when he expressed his doubts, when he spoke openly about his concerns, that did not disqualify his faith. In fact, it was his transparent honesty that, in fact, deepened his faith. Like we see elsewhere in the New Testament, Thomas is simply saying, Lord, I believe. Will you help me in my unbelief? I don't want to live in the in the shallows of what everybody else says is true. I need to know this and believe this for myself. I want to go deep and abiding in my relationship with you. So let me ask you. Is that how you relate to God? Do you share that same devotion as Thomas even in the midst of your doubts? You see, Thomas never stopped pursuing Jesus. He fought through his confusion to find the clarity that his heart longed for. That's what disciples do. So may we be more like Thomas, who who believed not because he had all the answers. Okay, don't miss that. He believed not because he had all the answers. He believed in order that he might find the answers. It was his devotion to To know and follow Jesus Christ that led him into a deep and abiding faith in Christ. He believed so that he might grow in his understanding. Faith, seeking understanding. And here's what encourages me as I think about the example of Thomas. Is that I see examples of Thomas all throughout this church family. People who believe even in the midst of their doubts. People who believe even in the midst of hard times. People who push through the difficulties seeking the clarity of what it means to know and follow Christ. One of those examples you get a chance to hear from this morning, Alex, if you want to go ahead and come forward. Um, I really appreciate Alex because in my mind, he's a Thomas. Because when I think about Alex Sanders, I think of a man who is deeply devoted to following Christ, not without his doubts, as you will hear in his testimony, but sincere in his devotion. So I'm excited for you to, to hear some of his testimony this morning. So. Thank you, Alex.
1: Thank you, Todd. Morning. So when Brian was asking me if I would be willing to share my testimony, we talked about, I think it was a couple months ago and I did not realize it was gonna fall the day before school. So (laughs) more than a little stressed as you can imagine, but um, that's why we have God. (laughs) So, for those of you that don't know, my name is Alex Sanders. Um, grew up going to church here, I, mean, I think, as far as I know, my whole life. Um, and became a Christian at a very young age. I think it was about six or seven. Um, when I became a Christian, my main focus was um, wanting to be with my family in heaven. Uh, that was really the extent of my faith at that time. Um, there's more to that, but at that time I didn't quite understand. That was, that was about all I knew. Uh, and so, from that point, I started to learn how a Christian was supposed to act, or at least in my eyes, how they were supposed to act, um, and really started trying to become that person, um, really for the sake of those around me, for family and church. Um, I knew they wanted me to be a certain way, so that's why I was doing it. And so I continued that for quite a while, um, and it was around sixth grade when I was really starting to try and become myself in that moment. And in trying to do that, I can still remember I had a person who I thought was a good friend of mine, and me trying to be myself, who flat out told me, goes, I think I like the old Alex better. And in that moment, um, it did hurt. It it sucked, being honest. Um, And I thought, okay, if I want friends at school, I have to become this person that they want. Um, And I knew, okay, at home, And at church, I need to act like this. And so I started kind of becoming that person there. But then at school, I started becoming a different person, Um, basically just putting on these masks, whatever group I was with, uh, being who they wanted me to be. Um, And really, that continued all the way into my senior year of high school, just basically putting on that mask, being a character. Um, And it was in my senior year of high school, I was at Far Retreat with Youth Group, um, which was one of my... was one of my safe places. Uh, Being with youth group was where I felt like I could really just kind of be myself and relax. Um, But on that far retreat, a good friend of mine while we're there had a father pass away. Um, And in that moment, I remember blaming God for it, Um, literally thinking, God, we're here worshiping you, and you took him away. This is your fault. Um, So one of the leaders was driving her back home to be with her family, and she sends out a message to all of us. I'm um, basically saying, I don't understand, but I'm trusting God to help me get through this. Um, literally the exact opposite of what I was thinking and saying. Um, and I remember in that moment, seeing her faith, that was when I realized, like, that's, that's what a Christian is. That's what a Christian looks like. Um, to have a relationship with Christ, that's how you are. Um, in the good and bad times, you trust him through it. Um, and I remember in that moment going, that's what I want. I want that relationship. Um, And so I really was a senior in high school when I actually started taking my faith seriously and trying to develop that relationship with Christ. Um, And so since then, you know, life's been easy. Not not a care, worry at all. Just, yeah, been great. (laughs) So you guys also know that isn't true. That's not really how life works. Um, If anything, I've had other struggles and different things from then, Um, And I am not one was in this pursuit of trying to grow closer to Christ, I was like, okay, who do I know that exemplifies that? And so I looked to a lot of the men in church um, and really started going, how can I be more like them? Um, And in that pursuit, I looked at a lot of the men in church and thought, these guys are perfect. They don't mess up. They do things really well. Like, I can't measure up. Um, And thought, how do I get from where I am to where they are? And really thought I can't. Like, there's no way I can do that. And it wasn't until I was at a men's retreat that that perspective started to change. Um, And so while we were there, there was an older gentleman that I was in a group with, um, I think he was in his early 70s, and he was just being very honest and transparent about some of the struggles that he had, um, specifically in regards to lust. And so as he's talking, he basically was saying that he's aware that this is a weak area of his, and he was trying to take steps to remove the temptation. before it even becomes an issue, he was taking steps to block that. Um, and so just one example he gave was, um, like with cable television, you know, not always the best things that are on there. And so he and his wife had put a password blocker on their, on their cable TV. Um, so basically, if he ever wanted to watch TV, his wife had to be sitting right next to him to do that. Because he didn't know the password, only she knew it. Um, and it was seeing that real vulnerability that I was like, oh, they're not perfect. They're just taking steps and being honest um, and realizing I'm weak in this area. That's why I need Christ. And that's why I need community around me to help better protect myself. Um, That's when I was like, oh, that's how they do it. So I was like, okay, they're not perfect. I I think I I have a chance. There's a hope now. Um, And I think a verse that helped with that also was uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. We all have different sins and things that we struggle with. um, And Satan's really good at making us feel alone in those different things or situations. Um, But we're not. I guarantee there's someone in this room who has had a similar struggle as what you're going through right now. Um, And more important than that, Jesus lived a human life so that he knows the struggles we're going through also. Looking at Romans 3.23... For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all have this sin that we struggle with. Um, and if it ended there, like that would that'd be pretty bad. You know, not a lot of hope with that. But thankfully, um, looking at the next verses, uh, verses 24 and 25. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So yes, we have this sin that creates that separation, but that's why Jesus came, to repair that, uh, that relationship with us. Um, and so that's the joy and the hope that we have through that. Like, that's the whole purpose or the point. So going from there, um, still trying to kind of learn how to build this relationship with Christ. Um, and one of the big areas with that was trying to trust him in all these different things. So one good example of was looking at college. So I was in college for about six years um, and was not getting a doctorate, was getting a bachelors. <laughs> so changed my major a couple times, um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I'm sure a lot of you can relate where straight out of high school, it's, it's pretty, pretty confusing. Um, you're being told you have to pick something for the rest of your life and that's scary. Um, the, the good news is you don't. So I'm gonna go ahead and emphasize that now. Um, you can change things, but you know, be pursuing something. Um, but I kind of had this thought of, I got to figure it out now, and so I kept changing my major. And really, it wasn't until uh, my younger brother started catching up to me that I was like, Oh dang, I just need to finish at this point. Doesn't matter what it is, I got to get done. Um, so he's two years younger than I am, and we ended up graduating on the same day. So good, it's all right. I'm, I'm good with the tie. That's okay. Um, so. That was something that, that was all my plans. It was like, here's what I'm gonna be doing, here's the things I'm gonna pursue, and here's kind of what I thought I wanted. Um, After graduating, was trying to find a job in my field and really couldn't find anything that was either a good fit or wasn't getting the job. Um, And really kind of hit a point where I was like, it's hopeless, I don't know what I'm doing. All these things that I had thought and built up weren't working. And so I had to hit a realization of just going, okay, God, obviously my plans are not working out. I need you to take over. Um, Thought I knew what I was doing, but obviously that's not the case. And within that same week, um, I get a message from Taylor McAlpine, and he's saying, hey, there's a camp in New Mexico that's needing guy counselors. They're really uh, short-staffed right now. And I was like, you know... I grew up going to the camp, uh, Fort Lone Tree. It's a really cool place. I was like, ah, I'll give it a shot. What the heck? And so I call him, talk to him a little bit, and then two weeks later, I'm driving to New Mexico to work out there for the summer. Um, literally get there two hours, two or three hours before the campers arrive. So not a lot of training to happen between then and whenever I started. And within 30 minutes of the kids being there, one starts choking on a shock tart and I have to give them the Heimlich maneuver. So. Yeah. You can imagine my thought at that moment. Um, he was okay. I mean, we, we got him to cough it up. I mean, it was a whole shock tart, no chewing involved. Um, and then once we got him water, he went right back to eating them. So I promise he's okay. Um, but I thought in that moment, I was like, God, what am I doing here? Um, and literally that night I remember staring at the ceiling once I got all the kids to finally be quiet and just going, God, why did you bring me here? Um, And really, I came close to just going, you know, I'm going to leave. It's not worth it. This is too much stress. Um, They're not paying me much, so I'm not going to be really missing a lot of money there. And so, thankfully, God kept me there. Um, But it was in that moment that I had to rely on him um, because I could not do it on my own. Um, As you can imagine, that would be pretty difficult. Um, And it was through that whole summer that God guided me back to teaching and gave me a passion for that. And it was something that, in that moment, he had me exactly where I needed to be. I thought my plan was better, but the whole time he was just patiently waiting, going, I'm gonna let you pursue these things that you think are better for yourself, so if for no other reason you can see that my plan is best. Um, And it it took that for me to see it. Thankfully, I eventually did. Um, And I'm not gonna say that I always trust him all the time now, it's still hard. Because I, I want control. Um, when the reality is I never had control to begin with. Um, I just thought I did. Uh, but that's why we need Christ. You know, he has this plan for us and for our life. He has a purpose in us being here. Um, and a lot of times we just have to get out of our own way and let him take over. So that's kind of one of the things I want to uh, end with is God does have a plan for each of us. You know, he wouldn't have sent his son down if that wasn't his kind of ultimate thought or goal. So if you haven't had this relationship with Christ, I do want to urge you to take that step. Um, If you're still quite not sure, talk to someone here. I guarantee anyone here would love to speak with you about it, myself included. Um, But if that is something that you want to take that step of faith, um, I'm going to kind of walk you through that here real quick as well, Um, and just kind of basically how to do that. It's basically trusting God and trusting Jesus and um, his atonement for our sins. So if that's something you do, do uh, please bow your heads and pray with me for a little bit. God, I just thank you. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you for the way that you care for us, even when we turn away and run from you. God, I want to thank you for sending your son Jesus down for us and being the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and that he died and rose again um, and was able to purify us and restore us that, that relationship with you, God. God, I pray that you would forgive me for the areas I have messed up and fallen and sinned. Um, and God, I pray that you would just restore me back to you. Um, God, give us your Holy Spirit um, so we can Have that guide to help us through just the struggles and the things that we go through each day. God, I wanna thank you for the ways that you do constantly love us, even when we don't understand or can't quite see it. Thank you for always being there. God, I wanna pray that that with all the different things going on, that we would just continue to stay focused on you um, and not lose sight of who you are or that you have the ultimate authority. God, thank you again for, just for being there for us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.
0: let give Alex a hand. <clears throat> <clears throat> so one of the things that I wanted to highlight that you heard in a story at, at, that we also saw in our passage with Thomas is that these moments of doubt and disbelief struggles and fears, and yet continuing to turn to the Lord as the way out of those situations. And so I appreciate you just being willing to, even in that story with the young lady, be able to say or be able to remember what she said when she said, I don't understand, but all I can do is trust in the Lord. And I think that's the walk of faith is what that is. It's faith seeking understanding, uh, seek, not seeking answers in order to believe, but believing in order that you might find the answers. That's what that looks looks like. The other thing, uh, I'm encouraged because Alex is a teacher. And if I have uh, anyone that I know and love who are in the public school system, I want them to have this kind of influence in their lives. And I know as we kind of go into the school system or school year, there's a lot of fear and concern on everybody's mind. So If we could, if you could just stand, I'm going to pray for Alex and just pray for all of us as we enter into this next season. So, Father, thank you for my friend Alex and for his example of faith. Isn't it interesting, Lord, that there was a moment in time where he looked at men in this church (laughs) looking for an example to follow, and now he is one. He is an example. And Father, thank you that he is in the school system, and I pray that for all the teachers and students who are entering back here very soon in the coming days and weeks ahead, that you protect us, that you guide and direct us, and that you uh, give the assurance that you are with us and that you are for us, that you will never leave us and that you will never forsake us. Lord, help us not be overwhelmed by fear, but trust in you. And Lord, thank you for that example of faith in Thomas uh, that gave us the ability to see Uh, Someone else who might struggle in the midst of doubts and concerns, but know that you are inviting us to a deeper faith. And I pray for each of us that we walk with you and follow you, even in the midst of our doubts and concerns. We pray this in your name. Amen.